Well, hello there, everyone. It is, of course, Left After Breakfast here on 3CR, your only radio left. And we are indeed your only radio left. And it's a very worrying world out there, listener, with everything going to the, to the right. But you are tuned to the only radio left. And so on for Left After Breakfast, Susanna Duffy here with you this morning and joined, of course, by Glenn, a resident historian, his and her story and our story. And good morning, Glenn. Uh, good day, Susanna, and good listener. Here once again on a Friday morning on Vox Populi. Um, as I walked into the studio this morning, I just looked at some of the photos on the wall. Alma Morton, pensioner voice. And I thought to myself, good Lord, like, you know, more, with all the cuts to welfare and benefits the last decade, where are the voice of the pensioners? Is this the combined pensioner still exist? Where are groups speaking on behalf of unemployed or those that can't be employed anymore? And this is, it's not ACOS. ACOS speak on behalf of you know, professionals in the welfare field, but who actually speaks on behalf of the people that are out of work or the pensioners? And, um, yeah, memories. Now, history is about memories, my dear. History, as the British Marxist historian says, Eric, Hob- Eric Hobsbawm, history is our link to the past, our memories of the past. It, it makes us clear that we don't... We're not here in isolation. Our links to the past are pivotal. And um, on this day, way back in 1947, when I wasn't born, was a term the Hollywood 10 first phrased. Who are the Hollywood 10, you might ask? The Hollywood 10, well, I, I guess from what I can only, you know, suppose, surmise from what you're going to tell me, that they weren't a line-up of the men with the best legs or something. No, but Hollywood, well, uh, it was going to be more than 10, so maybe it's going to be 11, but the, the wonderful German poet Bertolt Brecht left America. He decided time to go back to Deutschland. He left America. The Hollywood 10 were um, 10 Hollywood uh, screenwriters, scriptwriters, performers, producers who refused to um, testify before the House of Un-American Activities Committee. They cited the American First Amendment, the right to free speech and silence, and they refused to give evidence and lambast others as communists. This is the time of the Red Scare, McCarthyism in America. It was, it was dawning, and um, there was the, the American Screenwriters Guild, whose president, Ronald Reagan, came out and testified. There was a heap of commos in Hollywood. They were turning America red. and um, this, Turning America red? Well, they, apparently they were, according to, um, to Mr. Reagan... He was uh, his brain was still working at the time, was it, or had it already? <laughs> Who knows? Did it, it ever al- work? Had it already started its sad physical decline? Well, he testified in in 1947 that Hollywood was full of communists. So we got him in front of this bloody jumped-up kangaroo court yep. and said, I'm from Hollywood, and I'll tell you what, it's full of bloody commas. As it's 341 others. And there was 10 who said, nine, we won't testify. But, but 10 women, the names don't mean much to me. I'm not an expert on Hollywood. Let's, what was the House of Un-American Activities? What did you say it was? The House of Un-American Activities was a group appointed by the American Parliament to investigate communist infiltration of American society after World War II. Communist infiltration of American society. That's right. Now, the 10 were Alva Bessie, Herbert Biberman, Lester Cole, Edward Dimitrick, Ring Lardner Jr. Oh, yes, I know Ring Lardner Jr. Albert Maltz, Samuel Ornitz, Robert Adrian Scott, Dalton Trumbo. And one more, whose name has escaped my papers. But these 10 people, they said, no, no, under the First Amendment of the wonderful American Constitution, we have the right to silence or free speech, and we'll choose to exercise our right to silence. We will not testify, give evidence, or lag others who we believe might be, you know, reds under the beds. Who, um, who we believe or we think or we might have a vague idea or passing thought once when we were pissed that they might be vaguely... Anti-fascist. Well, one of the main instigators, one of the main labellers of those was, as a Ronald Reagan. There were others beyond the Hollywood tent who, um, who were equivocal about their statements. I mean, we know um, Lauren McCall, we know Humphrey Bogart, we know John Houston. What? They they were supportive at times of the Hollywood tent. I'm not saying like I know Bogart and Houston's positions fluctuated. They supported Hollywood 10 right Were they songs. asked to testify? Yeah, they were, they were supported Hollywood 10, yes. So, but were they asked to testify? Yes. And they couldn't confirm or deny 
communist in Hollywood. So they, the, so, so did they keep silent? They kept silent at the time. Later on, I know Bogart later on criticised the Hollywood Ten, saying, you know, you didn't tell me you were commos, you, you were a bastard, you didn't tell me the truth. Well, Bogart's gone, as we know. But Lauren McCall... Well, he's dead. Sorry, he's gone now, I'm saying. But Lauren McCall maintained her support for these people. And this is a very scary time in America. This was a time when we had a world war, the world war had against fascism, and the word fascism had been beaten. But those who support a winning power were turned on because um, the winning power also included the communists or the, the bete noirs of American society and they, were, they had to be condemned and um, yeah the House of Un-American Activities was set up in the 40s it reached its peak in the 50s we saw the constant blacklisting the jailing the uh, we saw the betrayal of the Rosenbergs the, the slaughter of the two Rosenbergs um, Ethel and Julius who were accused of selling selling secrets to the Russians, you know. And all around the world, we saw here in Australia, Mr. Um, Mr. Menzies, who was a big fan of Mr. Hitler, who sold a big guy in the Japanese, Mr. Menzies tried to ban the Communist Party. And we had a plebiscite, and Australians voted no, we'll not ban the Communist Party. We'll not narrow, ban a party. It was a narrow vote, like the two conscription plebiscites, but each time, beat in the 50s of communism, or the World One period with Contribution, Australians voted no. We don't get taught this in history. We forget these things. We don't, we don't, get, we don't learn these lessons of history. You know? But in Hollywood 10, one of the most famous was Dalton Trumbo. Hmm. Yeah, it's going about that. I'm just going to say, he was, um, he was a... Uh, a what? He was a screenwriter. Ah. He was a Communist Party member. And he was, um, he was sentenced to a year in jail for not being uh, able to give evidence supporting the fact he was a communist. For not being able to give evidence. He Because he denied he was a communist, he was incarcerated for a year and paid a $1,000 fine. Well, denying you, if you're a member of the party. He, which he denied. And he denied being a member of the party. Correct. Well, that's giving false I- information. But I'm talking about how much um, this mm. un-American thing, mm. this un-American committee, what sort of power did they have by law? Uh, look, I don't have all the specifics off the top of my head. I've sort of scratched these notes together. It doesn't sound like it's anything that could have been upheld with their law. Well, laws are fluid, my dear. Laws can be changed by the government every day. And they had, they had the power to investigate or in, in, have an inquisition. And they had the power to incarcerate. And if you were deemed a communist and you were a threat to American national security, yes, you could be punished. You would lose your job. And these Hollywood 10 and others lost their jobs for years. As I said, Bertolt Brecht, the wonderful German poet mm. and playwright, he fled Nazi Germany in the 30s, which saved his life. He went to America. And, and then, then he fled the USA. To return to Germany, post-Nazi Germany. But Don Trump was one of the most famous ones. He was, um, he was an anti-war activist. What's his name? Dalton Trumbo. I'm sure you have mentioned Dalton Trumbo before, but yeah. B-E-A-U. T-R-U-M-B-O, Trumbo, Dalton. Just straight Trumbo. Hmm. He was a, an author, screenwriter, and he was blacklisted from 1947 to the early 60s. So that people were jailed, people were fined. Others were blacklisted. And I know as a labourer, yeah. I was blacklisted in the 80s because I was an active union member. And blacklists occur, my dear. They're always denied. No, it's the wrong person. You're not successful. Blacklists exist. If you're someone who speaks up on behalf of not just yourself, but of your others, of your colleagues, you'll be sort of pushed aside. And Hollywood team were pushed aside. And Dalton Trumbo, he, um, he was born way back in Montrose, Colorado. He worked at Warner Brothers, but he refused to testify before the House, before the Congress of House of American Act, un-American Activities. And he was blacklisted to the 1960s. So at the height of his career, yep. for 15 years, he could not find work officially in his chosen field. He um, actually wrote under other names. He actually he was involved in the production of Spartacus, which is during his time. But he, his role in Spartacus was not under Donald Trumbo. He had a, a pseudonym. And um, I know he he was acknowledged as being one of the key writers of the movie Spartacus. And Spartacus was a, I mean, it was a pseudonym. It's a pretty crappy bloody script. Well, no. Kurt Douglas supported Donald Trumbo. Kurt Douglas was possibly a fellow traveller. Fellow traveller. That's not telling me here anymore, isn't it? Well, there's no communists anymore. Communists are gone. They, they should be here, but they've gone. And the fellow travellers are words to describe someone who wasn't officially a member of the Communist Party, but was supportive. And Kurt Douglas was deemed a fellow traveller. Unlike, um, what's his name, Charlton Heston. Well, he's robbing, isn't he? American, oh, Ronald Reagan. He was a, he was being a fellow traveller. 
But Don Trumbo wrote under pseudonyms, and um, he actually wrote, I said Spartacus, and Spartacus was about the, the slave uprising in ancient times, and Spartacus was a pseudonym for the modern communists who sought to overthrow oppression and injustice. And um, famous maybe made nine fifty, she was late fifties, while he's blacklisted, and um, he wrote that. Because I think you know what sprang into my mind then, and I hope mm. it didn't spring in, into yours, dear listener, was of a group, <laughs> of a group mm. here in Australia, those bloody Spartans. Please don't know. Please don't. Know. They're rubbish. They're rubbish. Absolutely agro rubbish. But yeah, he wrote under pseudonyms. One of the names he used was Robert Rich. To um to lambast the rich of America, but again you know these blacklists still occur. They don't get called blacklists, as I was saying. They occur in the workplaces, and um nowadays like we we might not have the house of un-Australian activities. We're often told if you take a view left or centre, you're un-Australian. Is that much different to the house of American activities? Ah, no. uh, you're un-Australian. You believe in climate change. Ah, oh, you believe Aborigines were have different rights. Ah, oh, it's un-Australian, and that's a way of lambasting that opponents. That was a term. Dreamed up by Howard, but it it still applies. Yes, and he he brought that term from one of his heroes, Ronald Reagan's era. And Mm. Ronald Reagan was a hero to the Howards of the world. You know, he was a man who you know stood firm against the communists, who who stopped the Red Horde, the you know Red Peril. And um, yeah, this Hollywood ten, it's just a memory of what happens when you have a government which is um unwilling to have different viewpoints to have there's no tolerance there's no divergence and um yes it's a long time ago but today we stay in history in 1947 the hollywood 10 were first um first categorized as those who refused to testify against others and demon communists and that that my dear is today in history now as i said earlier i walked up the corridor with you and it's a photo of elmer morton and pension of voice, an old 3CR show. And um, nowadays, where is there, or is there an organisation that speaks on behalf of the pensioners? You know, I'd forgotten about There was a combined pensioners association. That's right. Where well, have they I gone? Should, well, I should find out about it because I should jump in and look after it. Because I, I can now. They had an office at Trades Hall for a long time. And as I said earlier, like ACAS speak on behalf of the pensioners. ACAS aren't paying pensioners. They're highly paid social workers and, you know, bureaucrats in the welfare field. Yeah. But where's the actual pensioner voice now? Not just on the radio here at 3CR. Who speaks on behalf of pensioners? Who speaks on behalf of the unemployed? Where are these voices, you know? Where's the unemployed workers union? Where's the unemployed workers movement, you know? These groups are marginalised in contemporary society. Maybe they existed every hall before the House of Year and Australian activities. They couldn't speak on behalf of their constituents. Yes. Interesting times, my dear. Now, getting back to the House of American activities, there was a Ratinger group, my dear. Have you heard? Do you know? Are you aware of the following name? The name was Edward Demetrix. Demetrix. No, can you spell it for me, please? Good Lord, you test me. D-M-T, so D-M-Y-T-R-Y-K. Hang on, sorry. D M Y T R Y K. Or maybe it depends. It may even be a ch, depending what part of the former Federation of Yugoslavia. It could have been some. Doesn't matter. Well, he, he was one of the ten that was part of the Hollywood ten. He oh, there he was an American. Mm. So it, it, it'd be an itch. They always call them whatever mm. they come. Where they come Dimitrich. from? Dimitrich. Okay. They, well, he was a film Demetrich. editor. He was a film editor and director. Demetrich. It's just, it's just a sort of patronymic name. The son of, well, we'd say Jamison. Okay. One of his most famous films, Murder My Sweet. Ah. Oh, 1944. Yes. Oh, God, yes. He was a, a member of the Communist Party. He was part of the Hollywood 10. He refused to testify. But he um he did the dirty. He fled to England and he lagged 27 communists. He escaped his own jail sentence but lagged others. And, um... Yes, he um, lived in England at this point. He was a rat. He made films like... <laughs> He's a rat. Well, he was a rat. He, well, what, what do you call it? Okay, he was a scab, you know? Yeah. He testified on others who, who he was accused with, you know? He made films like The Cane Mutiny. Remember The Cane Mutiny? Yes, I do. It was a good film, 1954, I saw that. And The Cup of Baggers. And uh, he, um, yes, he was uh, a man who was... Point, had the finger pointed, but uh, decided to escape the finger pointing and fled away to the UK where he could um, safely lag others without being incarcerated. 
And it was a horrible time after World War II. You had the, the fear of the atom bomb. You had, you know, the Cold oh, War. Oh, tell me about it. Well, you, I wasn't there. You were there, my dear. I wasn't there. Oh, I've the, read about it. I'm still, I, I still dream about the bomb. Look, look, if I wanted to write my autobiography, listener, I would probably call it The Bomb and I. Well, it was. I grew up. It was horrible. It was a fear. It was dreadful. It was absolutely dreadful. And it sort of tied in uh, somewhat with um, something which has a, a, a religious sort of fear of the end of the world. Well, it was in the world. I mean, well, you, you, you started that wonderful movie you were saying. <laughs> On the beach. On the beach. No, but I can remember. I can remember so clearly. It's still with me. I don't really want to dwell on it too much, coming home from school and seeing one of those beautiful sunsets, you know, the sun coming in Indeed. early and thinking it's the bomb, it's Indeed. the bomb, it's the end of the world. Well, it was drilled into our minds for many, many years, you know, and we've done a fair few shows over the last two decades about the Cold War period. We've discussed the uh, the plebiscite in Australia, a friend of an Australian conscription, oh, yeah, on the Communist Party banning, the, uh, the, the, the fears of a Cuban nuclear crisis, you know, for years, the fear was who would press the button? Would it be Ronald Reagan? Would it be Brezhnev? Would it be Khrushchev? Would it be JFK? For the best part of you know, 30 years, the world was on the brink of a nuclear holocaust. And this is this period of time when the holocaust was entirely blamed on one people, the communists, the Soviet Union. You know? It wasn't the Americans. They weren't going to press the button, were they? Of course not. Unless they were communists like Dalton Trumbo. And uh, we've moved from those days, but um, have we moved? Yeah. What have we learned? Susanna, my dear, what have we learned? Well, I don't know. What are you asking <laughs> me for? <laughs> you were here in those days. The, the well, you, but you were around the cold. Well, we're both were, I suppose. But yes, it's um, it's a period of time. It's quite recent. It's not that far ago. And, um, yeah, Australian society, American society, the whole of the West Nations, when it's this period of this, this constant fear of this, the world will end tomorrow, the press of a bomb switch. And um, it possibly could have. You know, with sort of a nuclear test at Maralinga, with the French test in the Pacific, all around the world nuclear weapons are being tested. Was there a concern for people? Was there a concern for environment? Not at all. It was about power. And again, we sort of don't... We had discussed power nowadays. Power sort of sort of pushed aside as an afterthought, you know. We discussed stuff like, you know, diversity and tolerance, but um, we don't raise power anymore. Who has power in our society? And the powers held by the same people who held power in the 50s, the wealthy, the capitalist class, the same ones who own our factories, who own our call centres, who mine our, our minerals, who own our farms, the Reinhardts, the Murdochs, the Packers. They hold the power in this country. And politicians, you know, they act at their behest. Polys don't run society. Polys do as they're told by the masters, you know. Here's Glenn's soapbox on a Friday morning. But anyway, it's all started from our conversation today. Because today, November 25, it's 69 years today since the Hollywood 10 phrase was first coined. Yes, it's just, that's a really interesting uh, thing that you brought up. I do remember something but about... Humphrey Bogart, but it wasn't it wasn't good. It wasn't a nice memory I read somewhere. But you know, people chop and change, it doesn't matter. But I can see this will we see the next house of un American activities coming up early next year? Quite possibly. Quite possibly this could be. It's just another thing. Who could could you imagine who the next Hollywood ten might be? Who'd be oh, ten? All of them. Well, just, well, no, no. Hollywood well, hasn't always been a hotbed of radicalism, my dear. Even in this period of time, the Hollywood ten they were a minority. Anyway, when, like, when people like Ronald Reagan and others were there. Well, we've got. There's someone much worse. John. Than, there's someone much worse than Ronald Reagan there at the moment. The president-elect is much worse than Ronald Reagan. <laughs> well, he, he's interesting. He's different. Well, he's much worse. Interesting and different, worse. you can say. Potentially worse. He is worse. I mean, he, he hasn't done anything yet. It's just what the world has become. And I've said before, I've said this many a time, it's a point of real worry, a point of real, real deep and frightening worry. The world is turning right it has turned right. It has for a long time, my dear. But it has turned violently now, right? It's now we're going to see a change like we've never seen before. We've got mm. the Le Pen in French. You're going, mm. Yeah, history, no. it, it, it fluctuates. Because people have no sense of history if they don't remember it. Oh, I think even more scary, but there's no left out there. But there's no they, left. If they don't remember it, then it can't have happened. There's no, it's not history. Uh, as Thatcher once said, Tina, there's no alternative. 
and there's no left. The left doesn't exist. And this is the scary bit. People are dispossessed. People are threatened. They're frightened. Where do they turn? They turn to demagogues like Le Pen, like, like Trump, because there's no left option. The point is that there are hard times as the world goes to the right. But I've been saying for mm-hmm. a long time, we live in this strange little time bubble here. Mm-hmm. For all of our history, for all of the history of people, there has never been a time when there were not uh, a small number of people, kings, emperors, mm-hmm. running the place, and a huge mass of the underfed, underprivileged uh, people who were just... And uh, there was, there's a huge mass of people, like 90% of people lived in squalor and their lives were worthless and they meant nothing. Well, basically, you and I, listener, unless you are one of the, unless you're a direct descendant of some great emperor, and, and if you are, well, gosh, you've fallen on hard times, haven't mm. you? But we live in this mad little bubble for a couple of hundred mm. years where ordinary people like you and I, Glenn, like you and I, listener, have some sort of say in what's happening to them, and we actually have enough to eat, most of us, and we've had some education, most of us, and we sit by and watch it happen again. It will return. I've said bloody mm-hmm. feudalism lasted longer than anything else. Yeah. And I can see a return to feudalism. No way. Very, you're saying no it way. It happen. History doesn't go backwards, my dear. History goes forward. It well, never goes in linear. Going, it goes in spirals. That's not going backwards. It is backwards. That's not going. It's this little blip of the time bubble that mm-hmm. we live in now. That's the, it's the sport. It's the mutant. It's the anomaly. And we're living in that Right, now. we have no left. That's and the problem. There's a huge void. There's no left wing out there. There's no yeah. left politics. People, people. Look, a lot of those who voted for Trump might have voted for Sanders if Sanders had been Clinton. I don't but Sanders think so. didn't. Well, no. People are desperate for answers. They want simple answers. They want some solutions. They don't want the same. You know. Well, what, democracy but, doesn't work, does it? It does work. No, it doesn't. It look does at it. work. Where has it worked? Well, what's democracy in the last fifty what, years? What is democracy? Democracy in its true definition of the word or what. But you listen to me. I did not listen regularly. Listen, listen. listener, dear, dear listener, I just yes. wonder, we are, this is what's happening. We are on, 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 on a blip and the world is going to change. Well, I might be going to hell in a handbasket. But like democracy, to me, democracy is about people being involved and running their own lives. It's not about voting every four years for the same you know, people that run us. Where's our participatory democracy? Who has a say in the workplace? Who has a say in how governments fund things, you know? As I said earlier, like Alan Morton's picture outside, where's the pensioner voice out there? Who speaks on behalf of pensioners? Where's their input into society, you know? Society has just changed so much. I mean, democracy is a bandied around term. You know? It's more than just voting, but controlling your own lives, having input into your lives. Well, we won't be controlling our lives very soon because this is what's happening to the world. This is what is happening. Mm-hmm. And I say, listener, get ready for it. Stack, you know, get your resources. Look, get ready to head for the hills if you have to. King Lake. But make sure you've got, well, if it's still there. Sure <laughs> you've, it was here last week. Well, I'm not talking about next week. I said last week was here, my yeah, dear. But I'm not talking about next week this is going to happen. I said last week. I'm not saying the world's going to blow up next week either. But I'm going to say 2017 is when we're all going to be counted and you, we'd better be ready for a really big... Recession, because it's coming. Well, capitalism, again, we don't discuss capitalism anymore. We talk about neoliberalism or, you know, economic rationalism. No one discusses capitalism per se. How can the world change if I highlight and acknowledge the problems, you know? We don't do that. We discuss, you know, oh, more tolerance, more diversity. No. Who has the power in our world, you know? And the communists used to challenge power, but no one challenges power anymore. We acknowledge power. And that's until we acknowledge and challenge things, it's not going to change. Well, I was going to say we mm-hmm. have a message from a listener here. Hello, listener. Wants to thank you for mentioning Edward Dimitrick's um, yes. role in that. And there were a couple of films that mentioned. I'm not, what was the one that you mentioned? I mentioned The Cane Mutiny. I mentioned um, uh, he. But you didn't. My mention. Sweet. Murder My Sweet. Murder My Sweet, of course. 1944. But there was also High Noon. Who was, that, that, who was in High Noon from the house... The Hollywood know. Ten. That Good was Lord. Edward Dimitrix. Uh, that's one of the uh, was High Noon. I didn't know. Okay. Fifty-two, and of course Arthur Miller's The uh, Crucible Theatre. Now Arthur Miller was a communist. He and was Marilyn Monroe's boyfriend, wasn't he? Uh, you also have been asked 
do you repeat the definition of the right to silence in a less jargon manner? Well, I don't have a great knowledge of the First Amendment, so I'm looking at the notes I've perused. No, so. we don't either do. We don't. Listen, I mean, this is American stuff. Who knows? Mm, I'm they... not an expert so listener. But we'll have a look and we'll see if we can find out something. We can that... maybe discuss it next Friday because very soon I'll be going as a wage slave. And the, maybe the bagman might know. He might know. He knows lots of things, bagman. Does the bagman know about the First Amendment, my dear? Well, mm. possibly. Who knows? <laughs> and the bagman knows. Now, what's catching your eye there, Susanna? Nothing. What's, no, the, what's Look, catching my eye is the clock. <laughs> so I'm looking at the clock also. My the clock says to me, tick tock, time for Glenn to go. Yes, it's 9.28. So Glenn will go and Glenn will leave these studios to Susanna and the bagman. So until I return, all I can say is chocula. Chocula. Well, here we are again, listener, back with uh, the two bright stars of the radio firmament, the ever so elusive bagman, of course, not so elusive these days, but and but not quite so elusive. And Irene Bolger, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Irene. Um, the reason we're late is because uh, out in the kitchen out there, which is famous for carrying on political discussions, we're involved in a political discussion and we forgot that we had a radio program to do. Yes. I've only been doing it for 29 years. You reckon I would have got it right by now? Yes, we were. We got a little bit... Uh... <coughs> yes. Uh, well, no, good morning, bothered. listeners. Is, is it even is it worthwhile asking what the political discussion was that Ooh, I was not a party no. to because I was in here waiting for you? Definitely not on no, air because it involves something that <laughs> someone said on air. Yeah, but it wasn't me. I'm putting my hands up. I'm no, totally innocent this time. Well, we're all okay. Fair enough. Not not a problem. Now uh, yeah. I, I reckon you've got the two of the week uh, coming up soon, I have, Irene. Haven't yes. you? Be yes. careful what you say. Um, no, no, no. No, I'm is... versed in law, so yes, you better you be very careful what you say. I will, and I'll uh, rely on you to represent me if exactly. I'm uh, sued by uh, George Brandis. Hey, okay. just just before we go into uh, George Brandis, I yes. believe I hear a rumour that you've got a job. Well, I'm volunteering. Are you at the moment? Marvellous. Yes. Well, That's I've good. started. I've started. Uh, going uh, uh, a solicitor, Anne Valos, uh, who has an office in Werribee, has opened up an office in Victoria Street. Oh, just up the road from you. Just up the road from me. So while it's getting going, I'm volunteering at the office. I had a, the first client the other day. Mm. It was very exciting. Um, How many so- years did he get? <laughs> no, we're going to court next week. Ah, good on you. Be honing the old skills. Yes, and it's so nice because I was so bored with not doing anything, and it's nice to be back a little bit back in it. And you've got the uh, got the gown out, and you've dusted off the wig. Oh, no, I'm only going to the magistrate's court, oh, right. so it's not that exciting. But uh, yes, so that's oh, very good. Good on it's you. It's giving me something to do. Well done. Instead of complaining and whinging and carrying on like mm. a pork chop. All right, stuff. let's hear about George Brandis. Well, now, George oh. Brandis, now we know why he got wanted to get rid of the Solicitor General, Mr Gleeson, because George Brandis had entered into a secret deal with the Western Australian government uh, that because the uh, it's been in the High Court for quite some time about the Bell Group, uh, which uh, owed... Uh, a lot of money, Alan Bond's collapse group, Bell Group, ah. and uh, <coughs> it, it owed the Australian Tax Office. There were four major uh, creditors. The Australian Tax Office, uh, it owed them about $300 million. Oh, that's how much. And uh, <coughs> the government, Western Australian government wanted to get some of the money. And so it entered into an agreement with Mr Brandis, the Attorney General of Australia, in a secret agreement Ooh. that they would um, that uh, the federal government would intervene. Well, not intervene, but would uh, put a position to the High Court where um, a significant amount of that money, uh, uh, the money shouldn't go to the ATO and that the significant amount of that money should go to the Western Australian Government. So Mr Brandis uh, went to the Solicitor General, Mr Gleeson, and instructed him to put a 
position to the High Court, which in actual fact uh, was wrong in law, <clears throat> uh, relating to the Constitution, and uh, which and I won't go into any of that because mm. it's complicated, but relating to the Constitution and where the money where the argument was that the money should really go. So he said it was the vibe. Well, he, said he, he, he sort of set him up by saying, mm. this is the instruction for me to what you should mm. go and do yeah. in the High Court, yeah. uh, without uh, the Solicitor-General really knowing the details of what that's about. But the Australian Tax Office actually approached the Solicitor-General, which, was, which was permitted to do. And this, is, this is, gives, makes you understand now why... Brandis intervened so much in the Solicitor-General because uh, Solicitor-General then gave the ATO the proper advice, which was legal under the Constitution, and the ATO was successful in the High Court. Ah. And the Western Australian government didn't get all this money that it wanted to get out of the whole thing. It wanted to jump, leapfrog the four major creditors and it wanted to get... So they wanted to get their grubby hands on this $300 million instead of it going to the taxation office, which would benefit the taxpayers. Yes. Yeah, And Grubby. And, you see, Senator Brandis was silly enough to promise Western Australia that uh, he would organise for this to occur... He would, in, and uh, but to the Solicitor General, Mr. Gleeson, uh, did what he should have done, which was uh, you see, Senator Brandis is saying that the Solicitor General is there for his use, you know, that it's uh, but the Solicitor General quite rightly has argued, as have uh, a previous High Court judge, Senator uh, Mr. Mason, and uh, others, previous Attorney Attorneys General. Um, not Attorneys General, uh, Solicitor General, Solicitors General, that um, the Solicitor General is there to give advice to a whole range of groups, including the ATO, so there are other, other bodies, and uh, that in this case he did the correct thing, which was uh, when the ATO approached him, he gave them the information or the um, advice and which they submitted in written form to the High Court and in which it was successful. Mm. So that's why. Ah, so this is a whisper around the halls of justice, is it? I don't think it's it... a whisper. Oh, it's no. in the West, West Australian. Oh, there <laughs> you go. Not even the whispers around the halls so that, of justice. It's... So they've caught Georgie with these pants there. They have. It's in oh, today's really? West Australian, and it'll be in everything else Everywhere soon, I would think. Georgie Porgy put them pie. Yes, yeah, so kissed the girls a... and made them cry. He really needs to resign. <laughs> yes, um, or be sacked. Oh, but, uh, don't hold your breath. Because, All right. Uh, so he's going to be my tool of the week. Yeah. Yes. Well, you heard it first on three CR <laughs> after you've read the rest Western Australian. Hey, talk about. <laughs> Talk about legal affairs, and don't think that I'm going on about this, and I go on about it every week, but legal affairs spokesman Mark Dreyfus threatened to resign from the front bench if Bill Shorten backed the appointment of a key key ally, Kimberly Hitching, to a casual Senate vacancy. Now, obviously, uh, Mark Dreyfus has not carried out uh, his threat, but it uh, shows the amount of... uh, um, Poison that's out there in the in the Labor Party about the appointment of Kimberly Kitching. I, I should imagine that uh, Kimberly Kitching, who is still awaiting um, charges to be heard uh, after uh, recommendations from the Royal Commission, uh, as along with uh, Diane Asmar from the Health Workers Union, um, they're both awaiting um, um, uh, outcomes of that. But it, she's been bumped into the Senate in the meantime. Now, I've applied for, through Freedom of Information, um, details of why she hasn't been charged and any um, any notes or recordings or whatever about the recommendations to about charging Kitching and Asmar. But as uh, the Freedom of Information Act works... Uh, you don't hear nothing 30 days, no. and on the 30th day you hear, oh, we're sorry, but uh, we don't have <laughs> enough staff uh, to be looking into such important matters, um, so we can't, uh, so we, we reject your application. Now I have to go through the process of appealing to the head of, um, of uh, Fair Work Australia, 
through freedom of information, but it's amazing how this information is not available at the moment. Um, oh, well, well you've sure. got a legal background. Maybe I could, uh, maybe I could get onto your coattails and you could advise me how to do it legally. Yes, there should, should be a way to do it. Look, I wanted to say something when you said. George Brandis, I was going to say, well, you don't expect Turnbull to do anything about it because he doesn't do anything about about anything. No. But I did notice this morning, I couldn't help but see the news flash before my eyes, he was wearing a white ribbon. Not Brandis, <laughs> but Turnbull, wearing a white ribbon. Right. I want to know where these tokenistic, hypocritical politicians get off. Yep. The, why they wear white ribbons then? I, yep. I'm, I'm not going to say a good... Look, White Ribbon, the group White Ribbon, I'm not supporting them. I'm not pro them. All I see is a bunch of boys having fun, raising money, paying themselves with it and having a couple of really nice dinners. And that's what they do with the money. Yes. Okay, there might be some good men in there. Um, and I know that they do a good job in schools. It's men telling men, but I don't like to disgrace footballers. And I and I want and all those managers of footballers must be thinking, what do we ever do before white ribbon? That sort of stuff. <laughs> but when you look at Malcolm Turnbull, who who uh, took a hundred and one point one million dollars from the women's safety package, which yes. well, he gave a hundred one point one million dollars, which went. No way at all to replace the three hundred million which had been ripped out by the Abbott government, and um, but which was then seriously crippled. But then less than five percent of Turnbull's one hundred million dollars restoration funding will go towards women's services. It goes to payments for politicians and staff and all that. In spite of all that white ribbon day hoo ha, which also included, bafflingly enough. A jet flying a over jet? Canberra last week. Oh, jet stop it. Flew over. What, with what white ribbon painted on yeah, it? Just <laughs> a, jet, a jet flew over Canberra last week. Oh, that'll yeah. fix it all. Well, nothing says, let's say, end violence like a good fighter jet. But I tell you what, if the law could be changed overnight when a handful of men, a handful of men at King Hit on Sydney streets, yet women's crisis services yeah. lose all their bloody money, well... But this tells me everything I need to know about the Australian culture and about bloody men, and I use that term loosely, like our Prime Minister, who has got the gall, the audacity to wear a white ribbon on his lapel. He's worse than Philip Ruddock with his amnesty. Oh, oh yeah, stop that. That was but, why I would never join yeah, Amnesty International. Uh, but unlike um, or, uh, you know, the, what the Turnbull government's done, uh, you've got to give praise to the Labor Party here in Victoria. Yes, in Victoria. Because they have yes. uh, um, uh, um, donating or whatever you do with the hundred and six billion dollars, I think it is, going to women's services. Yes, who are um, who are um, suffering from domestic violence. So good luck to them, and praise where it's due yeah. that Daniel Andrews and the Victorian Labor government is putting their money uh, where, where their mouth into is. Into services, which is what. Yeah, it's well, they've said what they're going to do with it too. So they're going to build. Um, well, they're going to take over. They're going to renovate or take over or rebuild a whole lot of housing stock mm, mm. specifically for women escaping from domestic violence. I haven't seen Daniel Andrews wearing a white ribbon, though. No, but he's not, he's not he's one smart. for useless... Yeah, no. well, he's not one for useless tokenistic... It's a yeah, um, tokenistic whatever's <laughs> Trying not to swear. But they're no, also but... going to set up hubs around oh, the state for women to be able to go to. Go so to. they're doing a lot of practical things yeah. as well as providing services for women to go to. And I'm, we're, we're talking about women because it's the vast majority well, I've, of, of domestic violence victims are women, women. Uh, even though men keep telling me on my Facebook page that their masses of them are oh, victims really? of domestic violence. Um it's mostly women, and it's the women. There were 49 women in Victoria killed last year. Through, Sorry. 49 in, women in Victoria were killed last year through domestic violence. 49 yes. women in Victoria, in Victoria yes. alone. were murdered yes. by their nearest and dearest. Yes. By yeah. men. Yes. Now, this must... Men they loved. Yes. Mm, this must bring back memories to you, Susan. See if you can go back into those dark recesses of your mind oh, and think about... 
um, uh, uh, public housing estates and whatever. Chief Justice Marilyn Warren has ah. rebuked the judge, saying he blamed the oh, child victim God, yes, for being is. sexually abused oh. when he commented that a teenager was nubile and that her abuser, a children's court security guard, was not made of steel. So <laughs> it's all the girl's fault. And yep. the oh. bloke who was many years older than her yes. that had sex with her. A security guard at the court. He yes. was a security Well, if you're going to get someone, that's where you get them, I suppose. Yeah, that's where you get them. Look, look if you, you want to find a bloody 14-year-old to jump into bed with, go and get a job at the court. Yeah, but this guy was actually told how old the girl was. Yes. Uh, the police actually approached him after yes. charging him and telling him that, um, how old she was and basically to stay away from it. Still went and had sex with her. Disgusting but once man. again, well, no, she was new ball. Oh, she was new ball. Oh, yes, and she he was couldn't newball. help himself, you see. He's yeah, poor yeah, man. Right. He's not a man of steel. Yeah. Because he's not made of steel. <laughs> no. And, uh, and that judge... Yes, well, this is. Uh, this reminds me also of the early days, and I don't know how old the judge was, but back in when I was much younger, and you'd get get these young men, sort of, you know, it wasn't their fault; they just couldn't help themselves, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, and they it, wanted to pash on, and you didn't want to. It just and, let, <laughs> it lets you know what kind of men yeah. these judges are, and well, you not, were thinking, it, bag man, of the judge who said that the woman who the woman who was raped, yeah, was her fault because she walked through public. Housing estate. Ah, uh, she had a short dress. Even worse. Yeah. Well, yes, it's You're provocative. Just asking for it. Every public housing resident was up in arms about that. Yeah. We don't. Yes. And I liked. There was. Uh, it's not all judges, might I say? There's some very good judges there who wouldn't dream. Of course, of, of course. Yes, comments. I read. Did you hear that? Judges, Orange said some here are very good. Very, very no, good. She's just there. sucking her way to the top. Well, she's, she's oh. got a she got a job volunteering first. <laughs> Next thing you'll be in judges' school. And then you'll be on uh, the beach. You see, I'm too old. They retire. I have to retire at 70. I've gone past the age yet. of All those old <laughs> judges. There was one... Oh, look. There was one judge in South Australia. God, I yes. wish I could remember his name and address. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, send him a message. <laughs> send him a message tied yes. to a brick. But <laughs> a man who had taken a, a baseball bat to his wife, and he said it was his wife's fault because she refused to have sex with him. Oh, yes. that's fair enough. <laughs> yes. With a baseball bat. Yes. Yeah. We, we, he hit yeah. her with a bloody baseball bat. Yeah, and the judge said, well, it's understandable, mate. And it made me think, well, what do you do at home, Judge? Yeah, exactly. It how makes you really think what yes. kind of... Well, how many times has he raped his wife? Then? Yeah, we need, mm. we need more women sitting up on the bench. Exactly. That's what... Uh, they they should raise the age up to eighty, and yes. then maybe you can for make women. it. Yes. For women, for <laughs> yes, women for only. Judges don't yes. retire when they're seventy. Yeah, it's compulsory. Oh. Men must be new. It's when you. That's oh. when you start to go around the twist. When you reach seventy, you both know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm I, well I, and truly no, on the I, way. You haven't made it yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm on the way. <laughs> Look, I, I, I refuse to uh, know that. I got a message from uh, Bill Cookermanides, um, who listened to this program, yes. and he was talking about what government still and whatever and why they make these decisions. But he wrote to me and said, "But first, we have to bash up on unions first, and then doll budgets, and mm-hmm. then pensioners, mm-hmm. then the people on disability support mums." Double dipping on paid parental leave, and then Aboriginals, and then the Greenies, and then those teens, and then the poor politicians have to defend themselves about social media picking on them for yes. wasting money on their expense accounts. Mm-hmm. How can a government find to look into these magnificent enterprises? And that's what it seems to be. It's a you know bash up everybody else except uh, except us. We live in the age of entitlement, exactly. according to the uh, the politicians and whatever, but bash up everybody else on the way. The, the attacks on pensioners, I really can't understand. There no. has never been a government <laughs> in this country that has had so many attacks on pensioners. No. Uh, you're talking about age pensioners. Well, pensioners of all kinds, no, disability pensioners, age, age pensioners. Because if you're saying age pensioners as yes. a whole, they seem to vote conservative, mm, not well, me. 
Well, not me. Well, when they've got nothing left in their wallet, um, you can't eat your wallet, uh, people. Um, no. Think about the way you vote and think about what these people want to do uh, to the services and the uh, – you pay your tax all your life. Yes. Um, whatever. Um, and you're looking forward to – Retirement, having a rest, and unlike you, uh, sleeping in. Yeah, that's right. Well, you sleep in a lot because you're on Facebook all night. Um, but uh, you, you must find it hard um, as a pensioner um, to live on what they give you, the meagre handout that they give you, Absolutely. and then they want to try and reduce it even more. Well, I, I can tell you that I, and I'm fortunate because I have still have a wardrobe full of clothes from when I was working, so I don't have to really buy clothes. Well, you can't go like out dressed in black gowns all the time <laughs> and wigs. No, no well, I, actually, I should. I was telling on to that stuff, but... Um, black gowns. He wears Melbourne black bag, man. Oh, that's right. Melbourne's Melbourne famous black. for black. Yesterday, I'm not. I'm very... Uh, I'm very You're green, very colourful. Very colourful today mm. and green and blue. but um, And primrose too. Uh, it's, it's a struggle. I mean, I have to think. You have to think every day about what you're spending your money on. Right. You have to think, honestly, and this is true, you have to think twice yeah. about having, yeah. whether you have a coffee or not. Yes. Um, and whether you want to go out with a friend mm. and because you don't want – my friends are so good, they keep paying for me to do stuff and good. I'm lucky. Mm. But, you know – I, if I have to feel like it, sometimes I have to cough up and, and pay. It hurts. Uh, it hurts a lot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when you – so it's – and I've, I've struggled, you know, sometimes in the last week of the – and you get your pension every two weeks. Mm. First week, it's quite – You're rich. Yeah, you're, you rich. rich. <laughs> you've got plenty of food. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and you're sort of reasonably comfortable. The second week, it gets harder. And then as you yeah. get through the week, it's – you know, it's You'll Tuesday. Live on two you think, noodles. oh God, I've got two days to go. <laughs> no, and you don't touch your two minutes. No, I don't touch those. But you yeah. know, I have passed it. I mean, it's oh, okay yeah. to have. But you've got to eke it out, and you've got to make yeah. sure you've it's yeah. and feed my dog. You it's know. Ob- no, that's right. It's obvious to me, Irene, that you're not used to living on a pension. No, I'm not. Because <laughs> <laughs> over and the years, I became very used to it, and yes. I have the same amount of money from one week and for the next week because I pay every time the pension comes in. I pay. You know, some I pay bills, I have a certain amount go on to bills and a certain amount of bloody Mikey and it leaves me with that uh, $100 for food. See, I wouldn't yes, be able to survive, I... Irene, unless um, I had uh, automatic um, uh, deductions from, from Well, I have automatic deductions on my rent yeah. because otherwise That's I'd good. be in rental yeah, areas probably. Yeah, yeah, but, I, I, yes, I must admit, and I've been on the pension now mm. for three years, it was easier in Spain, I'd have to of course. tell you. Um, but, uh, I, yes, I haven't quite got over that concept of going out and just buying something that I like the look of or buying a little piece of yeah. nice meat or That's something. The yeah. old days. It's the food, isn't it's it? It's the food. I, I buy only buy specials. Um, you like a days. glass of wine every now and then. I do, mm-hmm. but I buy wine in at $6 cask. a bottle. How much? Mm. Six. You pay that much? Yes. Oh, yes. God, did they Occasionally it's five. Where else can you... <laughs> where else can you... You can get a and, bottle of wine at uh, Dan Murphy's, and we're not advertising, uh, for something like $3. Now, really? Go oh, back... Oh, no, that's... No. Go that's back, that's the no-name stuff. Go back it? 20 years. No, that's if um, you buy a lot. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, no, yeah. No, $3. Yeah. But go back 20 years and uh, think where you could buy a bottle of wine for $3 and get... Blind drunk well, even five for three bucks. Well, uh, I think I'm lashing out if I buy one for eight dollars these days. Oh, let alone for fourteen. Yeah. That's too much money. <laughs> but <coughs> could I say that's why I got used to it in in Barcelona because at the supermarket you could buy wine for um, about three euros. Mm. Uh, no, it was a do- it was a euro twenty five. Yeah. Same as Euro Italy, twenty-five yeah. for a bottle uh, of lunatic soup. No, nice yeah, no, it was, wasn't too bad. It was mm-hmm. just Sauvignon Blanc that uh, mm. the Spanish Ooh, had made. Sauvignon Blanc. Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> <laughs> 
Can we get? Oh, I, I know you want to talk about one nation, but uh, just while do we've I? got a minute, well, well, we have two minutes. One to do. Let's oh. talk about. Let's talk Make about the Seven Eleven wages uh, oh. scam, the half yes. half wages scam. For... The criminals in the organisation. I'm not saying the management. But the the criminals that operate their franchises uh, are exactly that. Now that uh, there's been a film this week of a young woman who had to go into the Seven Eleven store and pay back half of her wages. Yes. Uh, a person from the subcontinent, probably a person on four, five, seven visas. Um, the sooner um, the government gets rid of these criminals and the sooner 7-Eleven toss these people out and sooner the police have them charged with theft and extortion, the happier I'll be. Now, very quickly, I'll just yep. have to say... Darren Hinch is going to sell out the unions. Oh, he did. Grunt. Yes, but he's going to do it again with the ABCC bill because he's uh, indicating that the Turnbull government may get an early Christmas present with the Nick Xenophon team, of course. And Nick Xenophon's always been a closet liberal. Well, not so closet, really. He pops out all the time. But uh, there's the, probably going to be a deal with uh, Nick Xenophon and Darren Hinch. I, I trust Nick, Nick Xenophon more than I would uh, trust the boat that roots 15-year-old girls. Yes, and also, you know, he's well, he's, he's never been, you see, he's never been a politically left radical sort of a person. Well, he's never voted in he's, his life. No. Uh, he's been to jail twice yes. uh, and whatever, and we find him uh, sitting in the Senate seats uh, next to uh, uh, Kimberley Kitchen, um, who was about to... Uh, well, he's a great friend. Of Andrew Bolts too. Yeah. Oh yeah, well, you know, getting on his program and admitting, yeah. agreeing to everything that he says, and being his great mate. Right. Um, ah, there'll be some help. stories. There'll be some stories next week about Michael Danby, and uh, <laughs> well, his <laughs> attack. His attack on the people that uh, um, brought down Kathy Jackson. Um, Ah, Now, it was not Cathy Jackson that exposed um, the rorts uh, going on the trade union movement. It was a bloke called uh, Craig McGregor and Dr Roz Kelly, Um, and he's attacking them uh, mercilessly, uh, this pro-Zionist Michael Danby, uh, because of the role they took in bringing down Cathy Jackson. So more about that next week. My name's not to be uttered in his office. Oh, really? No, yeah. Same as we don't uh, we don't utter, we're not going to utter the name of the uh, the uh, um, sexual offender elect um, in America. Okay. Oh, yes, okay. And we we we're not. We've no. stuck to that promise the, the last two weeks. Yes. Yep. Yeah, we've noticed. Anyway, it's 9.59. Uh, you've been listening to Left After Breakfast. Let's go out in the late. same old way. Why not? Dare to struggle. Dare to win. Dare to win. If you don't fight, you lose. Good morning from Left After Breakfast. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia, on the Kulin Nation. For more information and to find out how you can support 3CR, go to www. 3cr.org.au